0: You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J Pizza. Go to creativepeptalk.com/slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you're able to link together Daisy Chain week after week of creative progress with the Creative Pep Talk Pep Help. Go pep help. Go to go, don't just stay. Listen to this. Here's the episode. Okay, today on the show, we have Jesse Bryan and Brian McDonald of Belief Agency. Uh, Look, I'm going to cut to the chase. Every time I talk to these guys, I feel alive again. (laughs) This is my passion, and this conversation did not disappoint. I was on cloud nine after 99, cloud 99 after this conversation, Uh, These people know so much about story, and story is a magic that you can add to any creative practice to, to stand out. If you can tell a good story, people will listen to you, people will follow you, people will invest in what you do, and this episode is just packed full with juicy ideas on creative storytelling you're gonna love it. You're going to love these chaps. They have a podcast on our podcast network, our Co-Loop Podcast Network, called You Are a Storyteller. Highly recommend it. It is just a masterclass of storytelling. And you can apply these principles to whatever. You know, I've thought about why don't musicians make their, their songs stories, like use these principles to get that surprise but inevitable ending that is satisfying. Man. So much good stuff. I love, I love what these people do, and I love this conversation. Hope you do too. Here they are, Jesse Bryan and Brian McDonald. Hey, Brian and Jesse, I'm so, I am genuinely psyched out of my mind to uh, pick your guys's brain on all things creativity and story, and I'm even more. Uh, enthusiastic about having your fantastic podcast on our network and bring you into that group. So thanks for taking time to answer some questions. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Would you just quickly, I mean, I'm sure, I know there's so much to unpack here, but can you just before, cause I feel like we're going to have to define what you think Story is all about what. Why do we tell stories? And then maybe kind of frame that a little bit through the lens of what you call armature, if you could.
1: This one thing, more than anything that Brian's taught me over God, I don't know how many years at this point, probably six or seven years or however long we've been working on stuff. Uh, this fundamentally gave me a, uh, the understanding I was looking for. This one piece right here. So, if you study as somebody who's looked at, like I've looked at, I've read every book I can on story structure. You know, uh, all the big ones. And I would always walk away and I would it, they would sound good, but it never really made sense to me. Now, the thing about dyslexic brains are they're actually super logical. So it, it's like they do really well with frameworks. So so the reason why dyslexics have a problem with like a, a lowercase B and a P is they're the same shape. Mm-hmm. Right. So somebody can say, well, that's a that's a whatever. That's a P. And then you're like, no, that's a lower that's a lowercase B. And you're like, they're different. you go like, no, they're not. So when you when you interact with things that where the logic breaks down, it's really hard for you to understand it. Right. And so in a lot of these story structure things that you study, they use all these big words. or they use these really high concepts like, you know, crossing the threshold, returning with elixir, stuff like that, where I always go like, yeah, but how do I I kind of get the concept? But how do I apply that? And the one thing that none of these systems ever did was give me the foundational thing of why something exists. No one ever told me that. They'd say things like stories need conflict, but they'd never tell you why. Mm. Or they'd say, you know, uh, stories work like this. And I'd be like, yeah, but what's the genesis? Why do stories exist? No one could answer that question or it'd be really ethereal. And so one of the first things Brian did when I first met him was he asked the question, why do stories exist? And and once he answered that, all of a sudden everything became easier You know, because Mm. we talk about how when you know why something exists, you know how to use it. So the the example I use is like I could use a chainsaw to open up a beer, but that'll make a mess because chainsaws weren't made to open up beers. Right. So when you know why something exists, you know how to use it. And so fundamentally, this piece that Brian's about to talk about, it is the central logic that unlocks all these other concepts. Does that make sense?
0: It makes total sense. And to get super meta once we get to this you needed the armature of story. You needed the, the point of the thread yes. of why is this all, why are you telling me all these bits and pieces and why are there characters and why are there thresholds and elixirs yes. and all this stuff? Why? Yep. What's the point? Yes. Um, yeah. So Brian, maybe in
1: design Andy. What, I mean, has anybody, uh, what's the first time somebody said define what design, what is design?
0: Oh man, the, the, uh, dude, you, this is you know my, and, and well, how, how many
1: years did you probably go before somebody asked the most obvious question in the world?
0: Right. I'm telling you right now, I'm a, I really consider myself an illustrator. And I would say even there's less philosophy, less, less going there with illustration than there is in design even. And I would say, to, and, and I've spent so much time defining that for myself. And I, when I talk to an illustrator, the first thing I talk to them about is, like, if I say, okay, what's a comedian trying to do? What, what is good? What's the target they're trying to hit? Laughs. Okay. What does an illustrator do? And it's like, hmm. I've never thought of that. <laughs> That's yeah, a huge yeah, problem. Yeah. You don't know why. You don't know why we're doing this. And that, that means you're never going to – if you hit the target, it's on accident. Yeah. That's yeah. a yes, problem. Yes, exactly. Uh, you can yeah. never,
1: the difference is this. When you understand and you can define and you truly have knowledge of something, you can be consistent without yes. proper understanding of origin you will not understand context and if you don't have context again you're 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 going to live a life full of anxiety right and and the one thing we talk about from a craft perspective is the only cure for anxiety i've ever seen is craft straight up right. and so craft yeah. means understanding define what it is that you do why do you do it what does success look like if you can't do that you're always going to be searching um yes. and so there's your setup brian and so when oh. brian said this i swear to god it it was i was in class for five minutes and he and he said and he said this thing and i put my head down i was like oh my god i finally understand something <laughs> that was yeah. the whole beginning of, of being able to go like i have a logic that i can do something with
2: well you know uh here's here's the interesting thing about again about dyslexia dyslexia which i'm dyslexic too right so uh, what Jesse was talking about is exactly what I was going through in terms of like, well, why does this? How does this work? Why does this? You know, and I just kept digging. I kept digging. Uh, they'd say stories need conflict, like Jesse said, and that they wouldn't say why, and they'd just say, well, it makes it more interesting. Okay, yeah. but why? The, there, there's you yeah. know, you, there's a there's always deeper. People don't go deep enough. So they so what they're doing is they're imitating the form of stories without actually understanding the form of stories, So they'll say, well, I got have that have conflict. That's what makes it, it, makes it interesting. But if they don't know why it's not the real thing, it's, it's a pale imitation of the real thing. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, total sense. Um, and so, and then what people are left with are only their tastes. Well, I like this. Yes. I like that. I like stories where this happens. I like stories where that happens. Um, that's all they're left with is their taste. And some of us have good taste and some of us have bad taste. You know, I've never met met anybody who thinks they have bad taste. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, well, well, clearly my taste isn't bad, you know, Um, but, uh, but that's all you have. And if that's all you have, uh, you're lost. Um, Because if you're working uh, for a client and all you have is your taste and your taste don't mesh, Oh, well, that's too bad because you don't know how to adjust. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't get in anything deeper. So. And- Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go, go.
0: I was just going to say that, uh, you know, I don't have dyslexia, but I do have ADHD, and I feel like there's a correlation. I know mm-hmm. that they're often, like, uh, diagnosed together. And one of the things for me is I noticed – I'm always encouraging creatives, like, figure out your automatic behaviors. What are your What is your brain's, like, natural functioning? And one of mine is I always need to get to the bottom why of everything, and I think it's kind of connected to the fact that – uh, with ADHD, my executive function's kind of broken. So I can't just be like, if someone's like, Hey, go sign that, uh, you know, paperwork. I'm like, why not, not just because <laughs> I can't do it because you said to do it. That does, my brain does not do that. I need to know how, it, Oh, I'm going to go to jail if I don't. All right. I'm still going to weigh it up because I like, I, I have to know that why. And so why stories? What, why do we tell them?
2: Well, it's uh, the, the now that, yeah, that took me a, a while to figure out. But when you look at stories and you look at how they have to have conflict, and that's what makes them interesting. And, and in and the news, they would say if it bleeds, it leads, right? So that's conflict, mm-hmm. right? They, they never report the good news. It's like because good news isn't, is inherently not interesting. Well, why is that? Well, you, when you talk about stories or think about stories and think about storytelling, one of the traps. Uh, This just happened to me recently, actually, when I mentioned being a storyteller. You say you're a storyteller, and people will automatically um, put it in a category. So when you say storyteller, uh, what they do is they put it in the category of being for children, that kind of a storyteller, um, or they put it in a tribal setting, right? Oh, storytelling. Um, Yeah. Um, I remember I was talking about I think working with some Native American people or something and they're like oh they really know story and you know it's like oh no they they ritualize it differently Um, but everybody knows story it's just some people are aware of it and other people aren't aware of how we use it how we use them and how we use them is to pass on survival information so there are a couple ways that you can see that that's true one is If you listen to how people tell stories in real life, and this is what I'm getting at, um, that that's the key. Don't forget about formalized stories. Forget about books and plays and movies and TV. Forget about all of that stuff. That stuff comes out of the parent form, which is people talking to each other. That's the parent form of all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so the parent form has all the rules in it already. They're all there. And so, um, you know, when you talk later, we talk about three-act structure, those kinds of things. Those are all embedded in the way we communicate already. We didn't invent that stuff. That just comes with be- being a human being. That's just part of the equipment. And so, um, but one of the things that it allows us to do well, when we tell stories, and you can hear it in real life, is that it allows us to pass on um, our experience or the experience of others— um, it doesn't have to have actually happened, by the way, right? Like King Midas, right? But to pass that information on to say, live this way, not that way. Be careful of this. Always do these things. Never do those things. One of the best ways to, to hear it or one of the most common ways or, or maybe obvious ways to see is when you watch a, a parent and a child. There's a point. When, when kids can comprehend what a story is, when they're old enough to know that, what often happens is wisdom is passed down in the form of a story. Well, I wouldn't do that. You know, I knew somebody who did that, and this is what happened to them.
1: Mm.
2: Right? A, a friend of mine was um, making a movie when he was a kid, and they had a scene where a guy gets stabbed, and so they put a they put a a, a piece of a board like a piece of plywood so that the so that the plywood could get stabbed, and they put it under the guy's shirt, um, and they. So they went to shoot it, and they did it, and they stabbed the guy, went through the plywood and stabbed the guy and uh, killed the guy. Yikes. That was told to me, I think, when uh, we were working on a project and we were thinking about doing something, he goes, well, let me tell you this story. Well, that changes how you approach things once you hear that story. Oh, we have to be careful. Things can go wrong. We can think we're being careful, and we're not. When when I was a kid, uh, we moved from one neighborhood to another. And and in this new neighborhood, there was a big hill. Uh, Dawson Hill, it was called. This is Dawson Street. It's Dawson Hill. And uh, when it snowed, all the kids would get on their, you know, sleds or inner tubes or plastic bags or whatever and sled down this hill. And when I was a new kid in the neighborhood, um, the kids would tell you this story about a kid who was like a generation older than us, who had been sledding down, I think on an inner tube, but doesn't matter. But he was on an inner tube, and he was going down the hill, and he hit a telephone pole. And he, and he got the wind knocked out of him. And everybody gathered around, are you okay? Are you okay? And he's like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. And he, you know, caught his breath and said he was okay, but after a while said he wasn't feeling well, and he went home, and he went to sleep, and he never woke up. Because he had broken a rib and he had punctured an organ and he was bleeding inside and didn't know it, which is why he got tired, which is why he wasn't feeling well. And kids tell that story because they think they're just telling a, you know, that's crazy story that the kids tell. And, you know, but what they're really telling you to do is be careful. Hey, be careful. When you're going down this hill, be careful. You get hurt. And if you do get hurt, make sure you get checked out because you may be more hurt than you know. That's survival information. You can't hear that story and sled down that hill without thinking about it. So if you if you look in the natural world and see how people use stories, it becomes clear to you that it's about survival. Um, A lot of times when you say survival, people will automatically go to um, physical survival. But that's it. It can be social survival. Don't be a jerk. You know, uh, it can be um, uh, emotional or spiritual survival. uh, 12 step programs. Uh, use that um, it can be all kinds of uh, survival cultural survival uh, this is why we do things the way we do this is what we came, you know, cultural survival so there's all kinds of survival but in the end that's why we do it um, and other proof that that's true is, is the idea of duus es machina so yeah. duus es machina is uh, it means uh, God from the machine or God from the box or God from the machine and and in, in Greek drama, they used to get the character, the hero, in a, you know, in a in a bind. And at the end of it, they would Apollo or somebody would come down and, and save the day. And they found out that that was dissatisfying. And so after a while, nobody does that. And it's a bad thing if you have a Dois to Machina ending because it came out of nowhere. Well, why? What's, why is it unsatisfying? It could be interesting. It could be spectacular. It could be all these things. But why, why doesn't it work? It doesn't work because there's no survival information and Apollo coming down and helping you out, hmm. right? And so it, we, we're going to the story for survival information. We don't get it. We'll feel cheated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I love this. And, you know, my next question actually is to address the people that would push back. I just want it to be known. I do not push back. I 100% subscribe <laughs> to that idea. I just, want you to, I just want you to know I'm on your team with that because mm-hmm. actually, you know, my next question um, uh, is, well, I'll just set it up this way. The quote at the start of your book, Invisible Ink is my, one of my all-time favorite quotes. I'd never seen it before. This idea that there is no art which does not conceal a still greater art. Um,
2: Percival Wilde, and
0: I found that, that uh, by the way, I yeah, found that
2: quote in a Percival Wilde book. I didn't know who Percival Wilde was. I just happened to buy his book at this this bookstore with going out of business. And uh, I don't know if... That was just buried in a book written in 1923. I don't know how many people have... Like, I may have brought that quote Man. to light. So So... Well, yeah,
0: because I'd never seen it. And to, to the, the truth is, it so perfectly defines what I love about creativity. It's the reason I want to make creative work. It's The way I kind of think about that is like the science of the magic. Like people right. perceive it as magic, but the artist has to perceive it as a different – there's that's another right. layer that's some kind of craft or science. That's yep. once, you, once you start get, scratching into that – now that's like, I had, it wasn't until like 10 years into my creative journey that I, I stumbled upon that, those things. And yeah. then, then that's when I was like, all of a sudden I'm not creating to be cool or to get, you know, uh, of affirmation or whatever I'm creating because I want to be practicing the craft. Like I want, yeah. I want to know how to do this and then it's just fun in and of itself.
2: Okay. I'm going to give you an example of this using yeah. Jurassic, using Jurassic Park. So uh, my mentor was a guy is is a guy uh, named Bruce Walters, uh, still very close uh, friends. He uh, t- took me in and, and taught me film and motion graphics when I was uh, about thirteen years old. And uh, later he he worked at ILM, um, worked on Back in the Future and about just that era of ILM. He was there, and. Um, so, he told me that when they were making Jurassic Park, uh, you know, that Phil Tippett, who was a stop-motion animator, uh, they were going to do it all in stop-motion. And then CGI, they were working on CGI, and it got good enough that they thought, well, we can, I think we can do the dinosaurs this way. And then Phil Tippett didn't have a job anymore, really. I mean, he, he did. He, he consulted and all of that. But, he, but essentially, it's like, well, no more stop-motion. That's over. And that pretty much killed stop-motion animation, which had been around for the since the beginning of film until jurassic park but they were doing these uh dinosaurs uh they were doing the t-rex uh and they couldn't make it look good they couldn't no matter what they did they couldn't make it look good uh bruce said it, it always looked cartoony it never looked right even though it was cg and it had all the cool stuff they could make never make it look right and, and they had Phil Tippett look at it, and he looked at it, and he had been animating stop motion all his life. And he had been observing animals and how they behave and how they move and all of that to recreate it. So now this is, a, this is about transcending the technology. This is about knowing something. This is the art beneath the art. What he said is the reason it doesn't look right is because it's not moving like a predator. The way predators move is that everything... You'll, you'll see it with cats even. Uh, you'll see it with lions and tigers where their head stays completely still and their body moves. Their eyes are mm-hmm. locked. They're forward and they're locked. And their whole body can move and that head would stay completely still. And once they started animating the T-Rex that way, it looked real. And that's the Yeah, that's the crazy. And that,
0: that's so perfect. That's a, such a perfect example of the idea of invisible ink, which is we, when we see it moving the wrong way, We don't know what's wrong. We just know it's wrong. And nobody watches Jurassic Park that, you know, very few people know why it feels right. But they know it feels right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. What I would think about, too, Andy, is like craft at its highest level is perceived as magic. Like Derek was just on the show and Brian, they talked about that. Right. And what. It's like you ever seen an amazing concert and you're like, oh, my God, it was magic. Or you walked into Cars Land for the first time or, you know, you sit in a Tesla and it's so well designed. You're like, this feels like magic. If you're you're operating at that level, it feels like nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's when you know it's good. On the survival front, the funny thing is once you start understanding that stories exist to impart survival information, then all of a sudden they go, fantastic. Look around your home. Every one of those quotes on the wall, that's survival information. You ever walked in somebody's house and they have a quote? You know, um, like yes. a family quote or whatever. What are the what are all the quotes that you're re- retweeting all day long? Like, wh- why would you like that? That that quote at the beginning of Brian's book? Why? Because that single sentence. Right. It's like that's something your brain goes. I need to hold on to that because that's that's how I feel about creativity. It reveals another. It's like you're grabbing all that stuff all the time and you always need to ask a question. Why are you grabbing that? Why would you hang up that quote on the wall? Why do you have that Jim Henson quote hanging above your desk, Andy? I don't know. Whatever it is. Yeah. Once you start going, "Oh, cuz it's survival information and I'm collecting it because this is what's going to help me, you know, survive emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally." That whole piece, then you start to go like, "Oh, got it. Okay, now there's a logic. This starts to make sense." Yes.
0: And and I thought of it this way cuz I I want to ask um why why people reject why artists reject this idea? Why do they uh you know, I was thinking about how there's there's musicians that play, you know, they're plucking the guitar strings and then the real musicians are plucking the heart strings. They they're playing the human brain, mm-hmm. right? They're doing they're they know how to to do the magic inside of you, not just play, not just a skill. Mm-hmm. And and I Whenever I, the question I have
1: is, and we can yeah, take get for a while. I got yeah. it. Yeah. It's because go people, ahead. most people are more concerned with being instead of doing. Mm. Most people, well, I want to be an illustrator. Do you actually want to illustrate? Well, that's really oh, that's hard. So I have to study. So what happens is you have an entire group of people that go, it, here's the thing it only happens in the arts. If, if you were an artist, Well, I guess architecture. Like, so if you and I were studying architecture and we're like, here's how math works, and no architect would go, I don't need to learn that. That's only for losers that aren't creative. And, you know, why do you need to understand how math works? I think it should be an organic process where you just show up and take a bunch of wood and start hammering it together and just let the house emerge from itself. You'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I need to talk to somebody competent. The funny thing, the people that push back, it's the same thing if I said, uh, Andy, why do we need, why do human beings need to eat food? And if you're like, well, I think that sometimes it's because humans like things that taste good. I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't say could food taste good. I said, why do we eat it? Well, we eat it because food is how we repair our bodies. Sometimes it might also taste good. Sometimes it also might be fun to do with other people. But that's fundamentally right. And so when it comes to these really simple answers, almost always the people that reject them are the ones that want to stay in the the. Um, this fog of non-understanding because they think it makes them more creative or it makes them more like, uh, genuine. Right. Like and the truth is it's, you're avoiding actually learning how something works because you're not going to like the answer. And the answer is going to be, you're going to have to keep studying and keep learning. Right. Um, and yeah. so at least at least for me, that's where it usually goes is, you know, there's a lot of people that like to phil- philosophize about bullshit all day long. Mm-hmm. You know who listened mm-hmm. to our program? Like, I can tell you the funny thing. Brian and I did not anticipate this at all. When we first started recording this podcast, it, A, and first and foremost, it was because Brian and I were having these conversations all day long. Mm-hmm. I'm always asking him questions. And it was like, well, let's record this. Right. Yeah. Uh, and B, it was for the other people at the agency that weren't that were, you know, busy while we were bullshitting about stories all day long. <laughs> <laughs> what we found out is that new storytellers don't listen to our podcast. It's all professionals. And, and why? Because they actually have deadlines. And so the people, the people that are interested in the kind of stuff that Brian talks about are the ones that have a deadline tomorrow and don't have time to bullshit and philosophize. They're like, if I can't finish this article, if I don't get land, this pitch, if I don't get this next, my show picked up, I'm not going to pay rent. Those are the people that want to understand how this actually works. The people that want to sit around at Starbucks and, you know, knock out the 60th draft of the awful TV show, you know, in between shifts or something, they don't actually want to know how it works. And, And so I'm just saying, like, that's something that we've we found to be really interesting is is it's almost like story structure is like handing somebody a sharp stick and they're looking at it going like, I don't need a sharp stick. Now, when you have somebody who's hungry, you go, listen, use this sharp. Here's a sharp stick. Here's how to catch a fish with it. Somebody who's hungry Mm -hmm. goes, give me that sharp stick because I'm starving and I need I need to figure this out. Right. Um, And that's really comes down to like that. That's the difference with with truly wanting to understand this stuff is what's the goal is the goal to be able to do great work or is the goal to be perceived as artistic or creative, whatever that means. Yeah, because once you understand it's about survival information, that means your whole job is helping people genuinely helping people make it. I mean, you do this every day with the stuff you do, Andy. It's like Mm -hmm. all these people that are, you know, stuck creatives or discouraged or whatever. And you show up and you're like, Hey, here's some survival information, (laughs) right? It's going to be hard. We're going to keep going. And you're doing that. And you're, you're, you're trying to put, we always talk about how stories are either medicine or poison. Once you realize that stories are about survival information and you're genuinely trying to put survival information out there, when you speak, when you make art, when you do that, right. You're, uh, um, that, that's that's the job is to make medicine right um and it helps you understand like boy this is such a cool job we get to actually go out there and help people make it another day versus if you don't have that framework you think well my job as a storyteller is to pontificate and talk about all the cool stuff i always wanted to see in the story i've never seen somebody do a story upside down backwards running at halftime and you're like okay is, is that the reason why you should make a movie is to try something nobody's ever done? Or is the point of making a movie to actually communicate something and touch people? Does that make sense? It reorients yeah, your it, whole art.
2: Well, it becomes – it's it, it's often ego-based, right? That's why people – Yes. So it's like I want, I want to get the credit for this. If I do it the way that you say – I'll put that in quotes – I should do it, then that means my stuff is not going to be unique and be my own and – um, I won't get the credit for it it's a bunch of I, 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 I that's what it comes down to um, and you're not about serving something bigger than yourself and the other thing is I think um, that the, the problem with being a magician of any kind and that includes being a storyteller is you know how the tricks are done mm-hmm. and they cease to be magical to you right, So, so what I mean is all of us who saw Jurassic Park in the theater went what are we seeing that's a real dinosaur right that's a re real T-Rex right but everybody who worked on it nobody who worked on it thinks that right right right, right? <laughs> nobody who works on it thinks that they just went well boy that was a hard day to shoot and you know and boy we had a and they see the mistakes and they see all the stuff there's no magic for them the magic comes when you impact an audience yeah. That's where the magic is coming from. That's where you get to experience the magic. But the magic they experience, you don't get to see because you know all the tricks. You know where the strings are. You know where the mirrors are. You know where the smoke is and what it's doing. So you that's the art beneath the art, all that stuff. Um, and you can to learn to appreciate that in a way that the audience never can. Um, so there is magic for you. It's just different. And a lot of people still want to be an audience when they create. And so uh, Jesse and I have talked about this. A lot of times people will write stories from the point of view of wish fulfillment. Yeah. And so when it's wish fulfillment, uh, they'll make terrible mistakes because they won't want to have conflict because this is what they wish things were like. I, I wish I lived in a fairyland where everything was great. And they make this thing a place they want to be, but there's no value. There's no story information. There's no survival information in it. Um, or their characters make horrible choices or um, or they find themselves not, not telling the truth these uh,
0: man, uh, there's so much there's so much good stuff here and there's stuff that we wrestle with a lot about on the show this idea of you know who is this creative work for are you is this practice about your glory or is the practice about impact. And I think some of the problem there is that when you make a big impact, it can look kind of glorious. Like if you're making a really huge impact on tons of people that might sometimes equal tons of followers on Instagram or something. And and I think it's easy to get it twisted and you're not actually like you were saying, uh, Jesse, worried about the doing of it. You're just wanting to be it. And I, Mm. uh, one of the story I made up uh, for the podcast that, um, I I, think is this exactly is this guy who's like I telling his friend like I think I'm ready to get married I'm ready to I'm ready to do it I'm ready to spend my life with somebody I can just see it like call me Mr. Miller it just sounds so good (laughs) like I can feel it and the person's like wow that's amazing Uh, I don't even know who you're seeing who's the lucky lady and the guy's like Oh man, I didn't even think of that part. Do you know anybody <laughs> that would want to get married? And so started, yeah. this guy's not even worried about actually doing it, actually existing in the present in that stuff. And I do think you're onto something like there is an allure about being a storyteller, a filmmaker, an illustrator, a designer, and having that badge. But are you? Passionate about doing the process, and I and the funny thing is, I think until you start scratching the surface, it's just what I was saying earlier. Until I saw the science underneath, I wasn't interested in doing it. So it's just mm-hmm. catch twenty two of like you've got to really and and that's why I, one of the reasons I wanted to ask this is when I first started wanting to get into picture books, I was writing all these stories. And, uh, and, and I was sending them to editors and to people making picture books and they kept giving me feedback, which now I know was great, but it sounded like it was all story stuff. Like, you know, I sent a story and it was the deus ex machina thing of like, the character doesn't save themselves. There's some like, you know, divine thing Mm -hmm. that comes and saves the character. And I'm like, where are you getting these answers? And my first feeling was, (laughs) uh, my first feeling was I reject, I went through that period of time that I think lots of creators go through. A lot of people don't go to the other side where I was just like, screw that. All you guys want to do is, you know, do the same thing, the formulaic thing. But looking back, I can see it was an insecurity in me of like not wanting to learn it or not even worse, not thinking I could learn it.
1: Right, right. And then well, eventually the way that fell you love hold with the it, pencil is yeah. what makes it interesting. So <laughs> it's it's like, remember, it's like it's what it's it's if you accept structure right. as that's the pencil. It's like, OK, cool. What are you going to do with it, Andy? Because it's going to yes, be different than exactly. what Jesse's going to do with it. Don't be worrying about making a pencil. Be worried about what you're going to do with the tool. Right. It's, Story structure. It, remember, everything like this is one of the most helpful things was realizing every Brian told me this the first first day of class. He, he said uh, he said, like, hey, uh, don't assume everything I'm saying is lying. Go home tonight. And if you can't observe everything I'm telling you right now in just a normal conversation, then don't listen to me. Right. Like all the yeah. stuff you're talking about, like the do assess mock and stuff, you want to know why it doesn't work, because if try it in a real conversation. And then my boss came in and he said, I'm going to fire you. And just then Zeus showed up. And you'd be like, wait, what? Wait, Andy, what are you talking about? You just jumped the shark. It's like, yeah, oh, sorry. Did that feel weird? Yeah. I mean, you were set up this whole thing about how your boss was going to fire you. And all of a sudden Zeus came in. It wouldn't work. So once you understand that these are just observations of how things are, and the more that you understand how nature works, the more you can figure out how to contribute. And because ultimately, like I remember I was asking Brian, I was asking you about painting that one time. And you said that there's a difference between meditating and communicating. So, like, you might do art as a way of like a meditation. Perfect. What we're yeah. talking about is when you're trying to communicate. Yeah. So all of a sudden I go, Andy, is this book you're doing just for you? And is it a meditation? OK, that's art. You're like, no, no, no I want kids to read it. And I want them to realize that they're more powerful than they think. I'm like, oh, now we're communicating. Well, shit, man. It sounds like the whole thing of, like, you're more powerful than you think, you know? Why don't you try to line everything up with that idea? That way the, the, the kids that are reading this book will be able to really walk away with that survival information. And you're like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, boom, you start solving the problems. And the coolest thing is the way that Andy solves that problem is what's going to make it awesome. So it's by yes. understanding structure, it is not giving up you. It is simply it is simply acknowledging the way the universe works and within that Making something unique uh, within that that structure that unique to Andy. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're not giving yeah, up anything. It, You're just sharpening.
0: Yes, exactly. It's not telling you what to say. Right. It's telling you how to say it in a way that it'll actually be heard.
2: Right.
1: And that. Yes.
0: Will you? Yeah. What were you going to say, Brian?
2: Well, I'm, now I'm rethinking what I was going to say okay. uh, <laughs> because what I was going to say was speaking to something that was we were talking about earlier. But I think it's a story worth hearing.
0: So, yeah, let's go back to that. Cause yeah, go okay. ahead. Okay.
2: So uh, now I don't know what sparked it, but I, it'll all make sense. So I have a friend who works at an animation studio, and he, along with another friend, kind of run the internship program for story artists coming in. And what he said is, you look at their portfolios, and they and they look and they look good, and you know they select the people, and then he said. The first part of the of the internship, uh, they have them uh, draw like on, uh, you know, using a pencil and paper. And he's like, they get so angry that we're making them do that. And they're all they're like, we're never going to use this. This is stupid. You know, why can't I use my, you know, my tablet and blah, 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 on and on and on. Um, And then he said, the other thing you find out is that they can't really draw. They have no draft. (laughs) So they've been able to hide. And their pushback is, I can't hide. I can't draw, and now I can't hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really interesting to me. And, and, but what he said is, by the end of it, they're all about it. They're all, But the idea that they, they're not going to use this. Um, well, if you can't draw, and this helps you learn how to draw, you will use it. Right? You know? Mm-hmm. You will use it. Yeah. Like, the more you know about your craft, the more you have available to you to use. Yep. Yeah, you'll any, never use it. Yeah, yeah. If you're not going to learn it, you'll never use it.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, the goal uh, is not to learn a magic trick, which is the tablet thing. The goal is to learn how magic works. Like like yes. most people, they found a magic trick. I use these layers and this way on this tablet. And guess what? Everybody knows you're a one trick pony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I could tell you, you know what's awesome about Ryan Clark, right? Our buddy. Ryan can do yeah. any style. You know how hard that is? you know how hard that is crazy the dude's insane it's and so it's just like most people it's like i went to comic-con one time with brian and he walked around and he pointed this person stopped this illustrator this this person stopped see how they always hide the hands and i was like oh crazy the hands are always in the pocket or whatever he's like yeah that's right they stopped with hands because it was too hard see this person they stopped with this and they stopped with this and most people they get good enough to get people to say they're good but they don't actually love it enough to figure out more than just a couple of magic tricks. And boy, yeah. but the people like the Paul Rands or the Milk Calls or whoever your list is, Patty Chayefsky's, who actually figure out how magic works, their work not only lasts, but it transcends everybody else's work. It's just hard.
2: Yeah, I, um, I remember going to, I, I've talked about this, I think, on other podcasts, but I, I, I remember going to the Comic-Con in San Diego years ago. The first year I went was 86. And um, people would have their portfolios, you know, to show professionals or to show editors. And they'd show, like, they'd go to their favorite artists and they'd say, look at these amazing pages that I did. And and that's all they wanted was somebody to say, you're great. You're hired, you know. Um, Yeah. But they would say, well, look, your anatomy is off. You, You don't know anatomy. And they would say, nine and a half times out of 10 they would say well that's my style that's my style Mm -hmm. and the the pro i I don't know how many times i heard this i heard it a bunch of times they'd say it's not your style you you don't actually know anatomy and the reason i know it's not your style is because over here in this panel the arm is too short over here it's too long right it's not your style it's not consistent you have you don't have the underlying skills that you need um and with writing, it's easier to hide that because not a lot of people know how to evaluate that work. So with writing, it's different because people also don't know the anatomy of a story. Um, and they are off and they will say it's their style, uh, but it's because they don't want to learn their anatomy, essentially. It's the same thing. Uh, story has an anatomy, too. Uh, go back. What one more thing? Because I don't think we yeah. actually defined armature. I think we yes, went off on a right, tangent. That is true. and Never defined. Well, it.
0: I did, what I was thinking was, and I want you to do that. But I took a note because I it was kind of, <laughs> There was so much interesting stuff going. I took a note that said define armature in the intro. Um, but uh, but and I probably do that to a degree. But I'd love to hear you define it, Brian. Um.
2: So uh, the, the this I'll tell you how I how i figured it out so one of the things is i you know i was a big twilight zone fan the original twilight zone and um i really studied those and how they worked and a lot of people uh think of them as uh having a twist ending which is basically not true um because it's not a twist it's inevitable the ending yes Uh, right Right. They're not a twist. It's King Midas. It's not a twist. It's just a good story. Yeah. It's just a good story. Yeah, <laughs> And so, uh, but, but, uh, and somebody told me, you know, and you read about theme all the time, like, Oh, your story has to have a theme and you know, you read about theme and, and it's one of those things like Jesse was talking about. Nobody can quite define it. Nobody's really good at telling you what it is, but you're supposed to have one. And, you know, it just seems, um, it seems very complicated. Um, And it's also a backwards way to describe how you make a story, but that's another thing, and I'll get into it in a second. So, but you always hear, oh, a story needs to have a theme. You need to have a theme for your story. So it's like, yeah, I got these dinosaurs running around, but I need a theme. You know, that's usually how people try to do it. (laughs) Uh I couldn't figure it out, but one time uh, a friend of mine, we were writing together, and he, or no, he was asking me to help him with something. This was years and years ago. And he said, well, you're really good with themes. I'm like I am, because I, ha- I had no idea that I was good at. And so I, I, I kept trying to figure out what it is I was good at. I like I don't know what that is. I, I, it's almost like I ingested enough good work that I knew how to imitate it, but I didn't know exactly what was going on there.
0: Yeah, it was an intuitive kind of thing without being able to. You, you got it, but you wouldn't be able to say what it was.
2: Yeah, and I, and I, and I couldn't be consistent with it. Right. So. um right. I mean, I, I, it's weird. I, I understood it, but I didn't know I understood it. But um, mm. because I didn't know I understood it, I, it, I could be inconsistent. So anyway, um, so I kept looking at what what makes a story work. And I remember when I saw Jaws. Now, I'm an old man. So I Jaws came out when I was a kid, came out when I was 10. And uh, so... I couldn't see Jaws when I was 10. My mom's like, you're not going to see Jaws. And I I can't explain to you what Jaws was at that time, but it was like the biggest thing in the world that everybody, I mean, we didn't have the term FOMO, but it was serious FOMO because Jaws was (laughs) everywhere. And uh, I couldn't see it. Uh, I didn't see it until several years later when it came out on VHS. It it would occasionally come on TV, but I didn't want to see it all cut up and everything. I wanted to see Jaws, right? So it came out on VHS when I was a teenager. And I, I finally got to watch it. And I, my mind was blown. Um, because it wasn't uh, about a shark. Everybody was like, it's about this shark. And this guy's like, oh, wait. But this guy was afraid of the water and at the end, he's not afraid of the water. So this was about him learning to get over his fear of the water. Oh, that's what stories, that's what they do. And I started looking through that prism. Uh, also, I some, read some stuff that Paddy Chayefsky, who a, was a great writer, screenwriter, would say. And he talked about that kind of thing, too. And I was like, okay, that's, that's the secret. Um, and so I started thinking about it. And then when I was working in Los Angeles in creature shops, now this is pre CGI and I was working in creature shops and we were making, you know, zombies and monsters and stuff for movies. And, and, um, and I would watch these sculptors uh, work and they would make these uh, maquettes of whatever the creature was to show the producer or director, or whatever, like, this is what the predator is going to look like or whatever. And so I would, I would watch them sculpt, and they're beautiful sculptures. but they, they had to make an armature, you know, they are sculpted out of clay, and so they would have to make a skeleton, an armature, or the clay would collapse on itself within a, a couple of hours or a couple of days. It would collapse upon itself, so it, it couldn't support its own weight. So you needed to make a skeleton. And I started thinking about the point of your story as being the armature that you build on, and that's your point. Hey. What's the point? Uh, the point is, some things are more important than money. Okay, great. So now everything you create is around this idea. Everything that's not about that idea is extraneous. So you can see that in a story like King Midas. There's nothing in the you story. You have to prove it. Yes. You, yeah, your story proves a proof. it. Your story proves it. Yeah. And here's the thing, and this is why I say it's backwards when most people say a story needs a theme. So people have all these elements, they have all these cool things, and they go, okay, now I need a theme. That's completely backwards. Now you're yeah. retrofitting a theme in, right? So you start there and come out from there. A story doesn't need a theme. What a, what, what a story is, is the expression of the theme.
1: The way that a lot of these features happen Is that you'll go into a room and you'll have artists that come in and they'll draw something and they'll draw like an an awesome treehouse scene and then they'll draw this awesome scene underwater and then they'll draw an awesome scene up in the clouds and they'll say Brian literally this is what Brian does for his job like they'll be like (laughs) Brian check out this awesome tree house and check out this underwater scene and check out this cloud castle. So, Hey, can you write a story that, that uses all of these? And then Brian's like, well, but what, are, I mean, what are you trying to say? And they'll be like, I don't know yet, man, but no matter what we say, we got to make sure it's got a sand castle and we got to make sure there's an underwater scene and make sure there's a rocket that has a dog on it. And then Brian's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What the hell is going on? That's how things actually happen. So when you go to the movies and you go, I felt really disconnected. It's like, yeah, man, they're not working from a skeleton. Like when you were talking about anatomy, I think you and I both read the Da Vinci book around the same time, Brian, right? Where it talks about how he would literally like draw the skeleton and then do the layers on top and on top and on top. And then Mm. you'd see his paintings and you'd be like, oh my God, it's like, yeah, he started with the skeleton. He literally started. And then that's why everything hangs right. Does that make sense? So yeah. that skeleton, that thing in the side, it's all a sudden you go take a movie like Iron Giant, right? I mean, Brian, you're the one that pointed this out, right? Where you, you go like, OK, the armature, the survival information is you are who you choose to be. Great. OK, how do we prove that? Well, there's this giant robot, both Hogarth and the robot like this is how he has to learn this. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you go, OK, I think, Brian, you were saying that Brad, he, he was like his 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 unfortunately his his I think it was sister committed suicide. I think is that so. Correct? I think so. I think so. I don't want to say it's true for sure, but that's what I yeah. heard. Right. And he was like, I wonder if I wonder what if we made a movie about how if a gun decided not to, it didn't want to be a gun anymore. And you're like, OK, that's Iron Giant. The reason why Iron Giant lands is because it's about something. And the funny thing is yeah. when you go look at the artwork people make, like I was at comic-con one time with, uh, uh Brian, I think it was the time you and Andy, Andy were there, um, our front Eddie and there was a poster somebody made of iron giant flying with the Superman crest. And underneath it said, you are who you choose to be. And I'm like, that's amazing. They instinctually grab the armature. Yeah, the well, point amazing. of the film and put it underneath the image. It happens all the time. Yeah. And, and um, what we yeah. do from a business perspective is I say it, this doesn't just apply to your stories that you tell this applies to your company your company needs to have an armature it needs to know who you're who are you what do you stand for where's the strength right now your job is to prove that as a company as a brand as a storyteller right as a person does that make sense and once you get that armature what you get from an armature is hyper hyper focus so yeah. okay we're doing this children's book andy if that's your armature I know you really want to do the underwater scene, but does that actually does that actually support you are who you choose to be? No, I just thought it was cool. Great. Let's cut it. Let's go back to that other scene, because that other scene seems like it really helps illustrate what you're saying. Does that make sense? Now we're making decisions based off of something other than feeling. Right. It's like, yeah, but I really like underwater movies. It's like, okay, but is that the right thing for the story? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. One of my
2: favorite examples, and I, I've talked about this on our podcast, I've talked about it before, but it's one of my favorite examples of, of because what, what happens is people think they can't be creative um, under those circumstances, right. right? Like I can't do what I want to do and you're boxing me in. Don't box me in, man. You know, you're like, they feel too boxed yeah. <laughs> in and they feel like they can't be creative. And, and so one of my favorite examples of, uh, unbelievably uh, creative um, expression of a theme is in Peter Pan So mm. Peter Pan um, is a, a, a boy who who doesn't want to grow up right So uh, what does growing up mean? Growing up means growing old eventually and it eventually means dying right mm. Captain Hook, um, is a is a version uh, of Peter Pan in a way because he's also running from death. Yeah, but the death that he's is, is externalized in the form of the crocodile that's chasing Hook.
0: Mm. Right. So good. So good. Like, it's ridiculous. Like it's <laughs> and, ridiculous.
2: And the and oh, and, and, the, and what's chasing and the and the, and the and the crocodile has swallowed a clock. Right. So it's time chasing him, pursuing him. And all that Barry did is give time teeth.
1: It's unbelievable. And
2: and it's already (laughs) got a piece of him, right? It's got his hand, right? Because that's the way time takes
1: you. It takes you a piece at a time. That's right. And Cook says that. Captain Hook says, he goes, he goes, he goes, it's still hungry. It's coming for more. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it took my hand. Now it's like, okay, you get older. I'm turning 40. All of a sudden, like my hand hurts. It's like, shit, here comes a crocodile. Tick yeah. tock, tick tock. Yeah, the clock. Do you know is how smart tipping. that is. You know how good that is structurally. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around how smart <laughs> yeah. that it's decision amazing. was. Yeah, Yeah. and the it was creativity. Ink.
0: Yeah, the the create and that that's the thing that boggles my mind when when I start introducing any invisible ink of any kind of practice to anybody, it kind of boggles my mind. I mean, I guess we've kind of explained a bunch of good reasons why people bucket this uh, way of approaching creativity. But that is so much more creative than thinking of some fantastical world where, you know, m- marshmallows have hats and right. like what, you know, whatever it is, just like the weirdest, craziest, trippiest thing you could think of. Like, okay, that's kind of creative, I guess. But, but the creativity to give time teeth is unbelievable bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, That's the good stuff.
2: Yeah. And that's one of my favorite examples of how creative you can be working within these parameters. Yeah. The other thing is kind of like what Jesse was talking about with Da Vinci is that I, and I, and I discovered this working on on a project not too long ago that I tend to create in that way. It's bones Muscle, skin, right? So the bones are, what are we trying to say? What are we trying to say? What kinds of scenes need to be created that help us do that? What kinds of characters need to be created to help us do that? The creation of those characters and the discovery of those characters is the muscle. Oh, well, then this scene does this, and this scene does that, and that scene, okay, that's the muscle. The skin is, what does it look like? You know, yeah. what does it feel like? What is it? That's the skin that's on the surface, right? That's the thing. That's the way the audience experiences it, right? But what's interesting is that you can find yourself, if you work this way and you work with people who don't work this way and you're working on bones, they have questions about skin. Yeah. What's it going to look like? Like, I, I don't know because I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm I'm, being da Vinci about it. I'm going bones, muscle, skin. Can we talk about bones? Well, that's too basic. I don't know how you're going to solve all these problems. I don't know either. I This, this, this is the bone <laughs> part. This is the bone yeah. part. You know, and yeah. uh, that's a really hard concept for people. So they bounce around from bones to muscles. That's right. To to muscle.
1: You're going, you're going, okay, all I know is Wendy doesn't want to grow up. Great. I have to find a way to get her to realize that it's okay to grow up. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to grab, I don't know, I need some sort of a guide or character that will show her Uh, that it sounds good to never grow up. Who could personify not wanting to grow up? Peter Pan. Cool. Now I need, it's literally you're building the cast around the thing. Instead of going, hey, no matter what we do here, Andy, with this whole Peter Pan thing, I got to make sure we have a talking marshmallow with a cowboy hat and rollerblades. And you're like, shit, man, I hear what you're saying. I just don't really know how that integrates (laughs) in this whole like Peter Pan (laughs) thing. Right. And so it's yeah. uh, it changes the level of conversation. It yeah. becomes about solving the problem. So, for instance, like we, I, we talk a lot about Aesop, who who is you want to talk about uh, a sleeper like people don't understand. I mean, this guy, this guy, what he could do, ex-slave, what he could do, wh- what he could do with a story, most people needed armies to do. So he would go. The king would send him into cities to, like, solve problems by telling stories. Right. And so all of a sudden you start to go like, okay, let's say he's in a town and there's this this group of people that are trying to build a bridge and the king is like they need to finish the bridge. And they're all running around with their – like chickens with their head cut off and they can't get it done. And he's like, okay, I need to impart this idea, this message, this armature, uh, the survival information of slow and steady wins the race, right? Because they're doing a lot of stuff but they're not actually finishing the bridge. And he's like – then you look around the village and you go, okay, what's something slow I could use? Oh, there's turtles here. Okay, what's something fast? Oh, there's rabbits. Oh, OK, well, I could use the tortoise, the tortoise to represent slow and I can re- use the rabbit to represent fast. All of a sudden you start to go like, oh, the tortoise and the hare is super logical. It's it, how else <laughs> yeah. what's the easiest way to to bring to life slow and steady wins the race a tortoise and the hare. It is so it's it's the most obvious. It's like what they teach you in, in when you do improv. Say the most obvious thing and it will be the funniest. Like if yeah. you solve it in the most obvious way, the tortoise and the hare will live on forever. Because it was such an elegant solution. The the crocodile with the te- – uh, you know, giving death teeth, giving time teeth will live forever because it was such an elegant solution to a problem. It wasn't arbitrary. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: It makes total sense. And I think uh – I want to be sensitive to your time, and and I I feel like we're gonna to have to do. There's a whole we're gonna to have to do another episode because I have a whole bunch of other just random tangents <laughs> that I want to go on. Uh-huh. But but the other uh, the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, the way that I know everything you're saying is true is because it checks out in reality. You know, when you, whenever someone watches a movie that's undeniably good and they know it's good, like, you know, one of the ones you talk about in the book, Brian, is uh, Wizard of Oz. I think mm-hmm. it's just such a, it, it works almost on every single person. And I think, th- I don't know if you use this language exactly, but the way I've come to think about, uh, I think you kind of hit on this maybe in the book, um, but the way I've come to think about survival information is a story makes you feel a truth. So it moves it from something you cognitively agree yeah. with to something you know. And if you told somebody um, before they watch Wizard of Oz, uh, I think the way that you say that armature is you have everything you need. Another, one of the ways I think about it or I talk about it on the show is the, you have to go on a journey. But it's not to find something you don't have. It's to find something you do have. That's the journey. You're looking for what, what do I have? And if I told you that before you, and that, that response, Jesse, where you're like, oh, I feel that. I feel like if I told that to somebody before they watched it, they could cognitively be like, yeah, sure. But because we all have that common language of that story and we felt it, there's a resonance to the truth. We, it's moved yeah, from I our head that. to mm-hmm. our heart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Okay.
0: Great. I could, we, I, there's so many things I'm telling you, there's so much stuff I want to talk to you guys about, but our time's kind of up, uh, just, just to pique your interest next time, maybe something to think about is one of, I want to talk about, can nihilists tell good stories? Because I have <laughs> some questions about that. Uh, and, uh, and yeah. Okay. And also I feel like the the villain is telling is almost always coming up with the opposite philosophy of the armature. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I
1: Contrast, hope that piqued yeah. your
0: interest enough
1: to Andy, get, say, get you in the chairs thing? again.
0: Yes, please. Yeah. When
1: this stuff gets super powerful from an artist's perspective is when you know what your armature is.
2: Yes. When you know oh, what yes. the, unique I, in,
1: the unique survival information that Andy J. Pizza has to give the world, you will, you will create such a massive body of work consistently that will impact people when everybody else is sitting or wandering around wondering what to do. And so all these principles just understand they all apply to you as an artist also. It's just something to think about. And it might already be hanging up as a quote on your wall. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. And I what I would love to do because that was a question that we were going to get to, but I kind of decided this episode can be kind of a convincing of f- why you need to find your invisible ink. Why you know, you know, just kind of like getting people to warm up to saying yes to find their personal armature. And then I'd love to have you both back and talk about how to actually do that. Um, and we can talk about some of these random tangents. Sure. You don't have to agree now, but <laughs> but, yeah. but I do, I am going to hit you up uh, ASAP. Sure. Awesome. Awesome. You got awesome. It. Thanks, this was fantastic. I'm oh. on fire. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, and everybody, if you guys liked this, this is just a taste of, uh, Brian and Jesse's podcast. It's fantastic. I love what you both bring to those conversations. It's such different energy, but it just equals such, uh, such good stuff. Um, thanks for showing up and being on the show today.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you, Andy. It was great.
0: Okay, thanks Jesse and thanks Brian for your time. I hope to have part two really soon. I got so many other questions to ask you. I hope you all loved it. I know you did because it's good stuff. Go check out their podcast, the part of the Colute Podcast Network. Go check it out. You are a storyteller wherever you get your podcasts. Um, great. There's there's interviews with Derek Delgadio, who I'm a huge fan of. There's interviews with Paul Feig, the creator of freaks and geeks there's a there's an interview with frank oz frank oz miss piggy yoda oh dear god so 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 jealous of uh brian mcdonald's friends and um and his talent and insight and and jesse uh thank you so much for giving us so much time you consistently inspire me to dig deeper man um thank you both Thank you for what you do. I hope you all love it. Go check out Brian McDonald's uh, book on story, Invisible Ink. I tore through that. That thing freaking lit me on fire. Uh, storytelling is a tool in every creative journey. It, it can really elevate what you do. It, it has been a game changer for my creative path. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, we loved having you on the show. Can't wait for part two. Creative Pep Talk is part of the Co-Loop Podcast Network. Co-Loop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast by signing up to our newsletter, creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You will receive an email each week when a new episode is live and you will get instant exclusive access to our back catalog episodes 1 through 199 thanks to y for our theme music shout out to alex sugg for our creative pep talk soundtrack thanks to sophie pizza and ryan appleton for content assistance massive thanks to connor jones for editing this episode so beautifully and thanks to all of you for tuning in until we speak again stay pepped up